2: Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. A M
3: slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
4: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael
3: People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels.
5: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio.
6: What happens in tiny places like small screens, there are multiple brands which are stacked next to each other. When you come to the checkout page in an online shopping store, the name MasterCard, nobody could even read it. So if I dropped that name and occupied that space by enlarging my interlocking circles a little bit, the visibility was suddenly far more superior than any of my competitors. So I walked to my CEO and said, I think we should drop our name from our logo. The look was priceless.
4: Hi, I'm Bob Pittman, and this is Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing, where we explore the business and marketing world through the entire gamut of analytics and creative. Today, we have someone who has covered it all, engineering, sales, business, CEO, all over the world, many sectors, and his hallmark is transformation. Raja Rajaminar, Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Communications Officer, President of Healthcare Business for MasterCard. born and raised in India. His undergrad is in chemical engineering. Then he got his MBA with a focus on marketing, valedictorian of his class. He also received two gold medals for academic excellence. Even today, he's still winning awards for his prowess as a marketer. Just out of school, he worked for the largest paint company in India, then Unilever in sales as a product manager. He went on to Citibank in Dubai, London, and New York. He was chairman and CEO of Diners Club where he engineered a very visible turnaround. He went on to Citibank and City Global Cards as EVP and CMO, chief innovation and marketing officer at Humana, then WellPoint before he landed at MasterCard. And for all the great innovation there, he'll probably remember most for the new logo and image of the company. Another transformation. Welcome, Raja.
6: Thank you very much,
4: Bob. We've got a lot to talk about today, but I first want to warm up with you in 60 seconds. Ready to go? Yes. Do you prefer sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Dubai or New York City? Dubai. Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. Golf or meditation? Meditation. Call or text? Call. Coffee or tea? Neither. Cats or dogs?
6: dogs by far
4: hummus or lentils hummus okay it's about to get harder smartest person you know
6: ajay banga
4: favorite book
6: jonathan livingston Siegel. childhood hero a bollywood actor by the name of nt ramarau
4: favorite sport to watch cricket favorite food
6: indian curries last vacation kenya secret talent astrology
4: favorite restaurant in the world the rock What did you want to be when you were growing up?
6: Astronomer.
4: What's something we might be surprised to learn about you?
6: That I have actually studied astrology. Okay, if you could have
4: one superpower, what would it be? I should be able to sing. Done. Okay, let's jump right into the branding upgrade for MasterCard. You pushed the company into digital and voice world in a rather dramatic way, and you got a lot of attention
6: for it. Can you take us through... The why first? Yeah. So firstly, MasterCard brand is not a direct-to-consumer brand. We don't directly market our products to end consumers, but we do it through the banks. So it's a B2B2C play. Historically, the brand has always played a second fiddle kind of a role in the overall scheme of things. Now, we wanted to change that. We wanted to create a pull for the brand. So we want to make sure that consumers, A, are aware of the brand. B, they've got all the right perceptions about the brand. They have a liking for the brand. And hopefully, they will demand our brand versus somebody else's brand when they have a choice. So this was the lofty aspiration with which we started. If you look at our brand, it has been in existence for more than 50 plus years, right? So we had inherited a fantastic recognition for the brand, which was both a blessing and a curse. Blessing because you have those inherent properties which every brand would strive for and aspire for, but the curse is because any change that you want to do comes with a huge risk. This was exactly the conversation I had with the agency folks. I said, I want our brand to really look very modern, very contemporary, very futuristic, should be aesthetically superior, should really cut across all the categories, not just payments, should feel native in many environments, but the two interlocking circles of red and yellow, you cannot change. You cannot change the color red or yellow, or you cannot change the word MasterCard. Then they just looked at it and said, what, then what the hell can we change? Everything is all literally fixed. It was a long journey of two years, and we came up with exactly the design which addressed every single aspect of what we set out to accomplish. We retained the colors, but gave a little tinge to those colors, which made them look very aesthetically superior, more contemporary, more youthful, more energetic, etc., optimized for the digital channels quite a lot. That went very well for us. So after two years, and this was a very thoughtful process, we went ahead and dropped the name MasterCard from our logo. That was a really big move. It was a huge move. You should imagine the kind of conversation I would have had with my I'm CEO. I'm going to ask you about that.
4: I'm going to ask <laughs> you about the internal on it.
6: So I walked to my CEO and I said, I think we should drop our name from our logo. The look was you know, in terms of it's almost very shocking to say, why would you want to drop your name from your logo? There are two main reasons why we did it. On the one hand, the recognition of the brand, even without the name MasterCard written, was extremely high. 84% people around the world knew that this was MasterCard, even without the logo written there. That was a big reassurance. Secondly, what happens in tiny places like small screens, there are multiple brands which are stacked next to each other. When you come to the checkout page in an online shopping store, the name MasterCard, nobody could even read it. So if I dropped that name and occupied that space by enlarging my interlocking circles a little bit, the visibility was suddenly far more superior than any of my competitors. So we said, this has got a great advantage. Plus also, MasterCard is just not a payments company. We are into so many spaces. For example, I'm also the head of our healthcare business. So we are into other spaces than the traditional payment space per se. Dropping the name MasterCard emphasize the name MasterCard less and the card in the MasterCard even lesser. And therefore, the applicability across multiple spaces has suddenly gone up. And because it looks more stylish and very contemporary, we could put it in many places which, in the past, would have been very difficult for us to put a logo out there. So that was a very big move. But thankfully, it went extremely well for us. So let's get the story behind the scenes. So
4: you tell the CEO, we're going to drop MasterCard. The reaction is, you're out of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, you now talk to the people in your marketing group, your team. There've got to be some skeptics who go, wait a minute, you can't take the name of the logo.
6: Absolutely, yes. So how did you work through that with them? First and foremost, I had to carry the team with me. Make them see the reason why we are wanting to do what we are wanting to do. What is the sense behind it? And what can go wrong at worst? And if it does go wrong, is the damage containable or not? So are we mitigating the risk? There are some folks who want reassurance that everything will be fine, nothing will fall apart. There are those people who want to soar and to them showcase very clearly that this is going to put us in a very different league. It will be really taking us into the future. And that really worked quite well. The logo is to be owned by the whole company, it's not just a marketing department's logo, it's a company's logo. Then we had to go to the board eventually and then share it with them. And every one of us had to be speaking in unison to the board saying that, hey, this is a great idea and we are all in it. We are all behind it. It was a journey. As I said, it was not done overnight. It took us two years.
4: What I think is interesting about it is you did this driven by this new digital world in which the logo had to exist. But you also did it for this emerging voice world as well. NBC, Intel, they've all got little sonic IDs. But you took it a step further and did this beginning to end consumer journey audio. Tell us a little bit about what you did and how you did
6: that. Because the voice environment is becoming so prominent with voice commerce and all, the statistics, when I looked at them, they were very compelling. So for example, last year, 10% of all U.S. households already had a device at their home, like a Alexa or a Google Home, And not only that, 70% of them have done at least one purchase transaction in the preceding few months. So voice commerce is here to stay, and it is growing pretty rapidly. If you look at the work that we had done on our logo, it's fantastic. But in a voice environment, how do I even showcase it? There is no visual real estate, and my brand was predominantly visual or only visual. So we needed to find a different way of depicting our brand in the context of sound. So we said the basic element of everything that we do in sound should be off of a melody. Now the melody has to be neutral. It should not be contextually appropriate to some and not to others. It has to be appropriate everywhere. It has to be likable. It has to be memorable because without memorability, there is no association. It has to be hummable. It should be simple enough to hum because that which you can hum will be retained in your mind much, much longer and more effectively. It had to be very versatile, whether I'm playing it in Dubai or in South America or in Germany, anywhere in the world, it has to feel native. So that versatility and able to render the melody in different contexts has to be there. And finally, what we also said is that different contexts, whether it is you are in a soccer match or you are in an opera setting, it should be very native and very, very appropriate to those contexts. So this was the brief from me to the agency. And again, they looked like I had multiple heads. And I said, (laughs) how can you really come up with something like this? Again, it was a long journey. We worked with composers. We worked with musicians. We worked with music experts, musicologists, everyone around the world. And eventually, we came up with this melody. And that melody is something which will go into all our ads, into all our events, into all our presentations as a background, and also as a music on hold when somebody calls up our office, and people can download it as a ringtone, and so on. So this is one level. Level two is we took a subset of this 30-second melody, which is about three seconds, And this is a sonic signature. So end of every ad, we will have this three-second sonic signature played. Then the third level was, unlike many other companies, MasterCard is in your purchase transactions. So each time a transaction goes through successfully, can we insert the MasterCard sound? So we call it the sonic acceptance sound. So the acceptance sound is a subset of the sonic signature, which is a subset of the melody. And the acceptance sound is 1.3 seconds. Each one of them is exactly in the same set of notes, and you can clearly see the connection between them in a very obvious fashion. I'm very happy to say that nearly 7.6 million points of interaction around the world today already have got the MasterCard Sonic Acceptance sound embedded in those devices. 7.6 million is good, but not good enough because we want a recognition. Now, the visual logo took more than 50 years. I don't have 50 years to get the recognition. So what we did was basically said are there ways to really get into the culture people are not going to be anxious and enthusiastic to listen to a corporate sound so you have to embed yourself in those areas where they're already listening so that's how we said we have to create music we had our first song which we released when you listen to the song it doesn't look like a corporate anthem nobody wants to listen to corporate anthems this is exactly like any regular good pop single but it has got a nice infusion of the melody that is not intruding, that is not annoying, that's not irritating. Now we're going to have about 11 or 12 of these in one album that we will launch. And the whole idea is each one of them would look completely different than the other. And at the same time, there is a this undertone of Mastercard. It has to be very subtle. This is going to be a new way. We're going to popularize and get our brand recognition up. So it's, again, a very big different experiment that we have embarked on. We just launched it in CES. You tell the CEO, now we're going to make songs.
4: What's the reaction (laughs) there? Another priceless moment? Another priceless moment, indeed, absolutely. (laughs) You've done other transformations before. What lessons did you call upon for this transformation?
6: The first and foremost is it's very critical to have a buy-in from everyone. Even the brightest ideas get killed if they are not emotionally embraced by your team and by your peers. That was the one big lesson. So I went out of my way to socialize these concepts around the company and give people an opportunity to weigh in so that they should feel that they're a part of the whole co-creation as opposed to marketing is sitting in its ivory tower, creating some fancy stuff, and then thrusting it down the throats of everyone in the company and beyond. What also happens is people get excited. On one hand, they realize how difficult the creative process is. So therefore, they would not be very light about making their comments on something which is creative. And the second one is, I want allies and partners to be able to weigh in in favor of this concept if they truly buy into it. And that's always invaluable when you're coming up with new concepts, particularly some of them might not be very evident in terms of what their applicability is. They might think that this stupid idea or, you know, it's so unrelated to MasterCard. What are we doing, et cetera? So those kind of areas I can very well tackle through this process of socializing and getting the employees buy into it. We're going to keep going, but I want to take a step back. I want to go
4: back in time. You were born in the early 60s in India. Where? Hyderabad. What was going on in India at that time? What's the context of the world you grew up in?
6: India in those days was pretty peaceful, slowly developing country. The state I was born in was formed only four or five years before then. So it was still a new state at that point in time. And so a lot of development was happening on the ground. The concept of television did not exist. We had radio. Radio was a real mass media. It was an event for the family to get around the radio. We used to listen to movies on radios. There was also, I think, a general sense of upward mobility, and people wanted to succeed and grow in their careers and in society. Education was seen to be the best route for you to grow in life, and so education was a huge emphasis. My mom was she was brilliant. One of the brightest minds that I have seen mathematically, she was a genius. She could even do my engineering math in her head without any calculators. Tough love is what we used to get from her. And she would say, you have to absolutely do your best and not feel entitled to anything. And the only way that you'll grow in life is by educating yourself, working hard, et cetera. So I think that was a time when the values were sort of being instilled very strongly. I come from a middle-class background. So these things were very important to us. When you were young,
4: growing up in this world, did you ever see yourself living in Dubai, London, or the U.S., being on the world stage like you are today? No, I did not. What was your aspiration then?
6: I thought I would become a civil services officer. So in India, the best of the kids would want to join the Indian administrative services. That used to be my aspiration. But once I got into chemical engineering, I started feeling that there are other things that I would like to do. I did my chemical engineering, and I was supposed to come to the U.S., and I had a full scholarship. But unfortunately, my mom at that stage had a heart attack, so I stayed back in India. Then I went on to do my MBA because MBA offered better and faster career growth than classical engineer by itself. That's where the marketing bug bit me when I had done a campaign by my own hands for one of the cosmetics companies during a summer internship.
4: When you did that campaign, was that what suddenly lit you up to say, I'm a marketer, I'm not a chemical engineer anymore? Correct, correct. You jumped from India, Dubai, London, the US. What kind of cultural divide did you have to overcome or that you didn't even know was there until you hit it?
6: For me, moving in different parts of India, already sensitized me because while India is one country, each state in India is very different than the other state. I'm from south of India, and I worked in Mumbai, which was west of India, and Delhi, which was north. North, for all you know, could be a completely different country than the south, both in terms of the looks of the people, their accent, their language, the speak is different, their cuisines are different. So they're like two different countries. So moving across these countries, I guess I got a little versatile in terms of moving from one culture to another culture, though, of course, there was a strong, common Indian thread. The first time when I went to Dubai, I was very pleasantly surprised. While the country itself had very different cultural context, and religious-wise, it's very different, the fundamentals are exactly the same. They all had the same family values. They had the same aspirations. They had the same fears, the same pain points. I... Took my playbook from India, the fundamentals and the foundational aspects, adapted them to Dubai, and we had a huge success in our hand. We built a market-leading credit card business there in less than nine months from launch, coming right from behind and overtaking everyone else. So after my first move to Dubai, we stopped feeling as being strangers in a land. We felt completely at home. And my wife has been a trooper going with me from city to city, country to country, and taking care of the family side of the equation. That made me able to focus on the work front. Just hold on a second
4: because we've got so much more to talk about. We'll be back after a quick break.
0: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day.
1: We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer.
2: Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot slash
3: easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2 of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
4: He has the smarts. So let's go back just a little bit back to India. You got into business at India's largest paint company, and the largest paint company didn't have any marketers. You were the only marketer. You then jumped a few years later. You went to the opposite. You went to a company all about marketers, Unilever, and you went into sales. So how did you get into
6: that, and why sales instead of marketing? When I was at Asian Paints, I had produced award-winning campaigns and created a lot of new concepts. Life was very good. When I got this call from Unilever, I was interviewed by the vice president of marketing and he liked what I brought to the table. So once I joined, then he said, you're going to be in sales. I was horrified because I always thought that sales was probably for the less intelligent, less intellectual and less creative people. If you had the gift of the gab, you go into sales. If you don't have any other skills, that was my perception in those days. I said, I'm not going to go. So he said, you got to trust me. You can never be a good marketer unless you're a good salesperson. You need to know what it means to pound the pavements, what it means to really sell the products yourself and fight the marketing warfares on the streets. It opened my eyes and I said, my God, this is what sales is. It is not what I thought it was. Even after being in marketing for three years, my perception of sales was very different. This was training my fire. I had to learn to manage large sales teams remotely. You need to really inspire them. You need to make them buy into the objective of the company, make them feel that energy to get up, go sell, and then kill competition. It was an amazing experience for me on that level. That was the best foundational program I ever had. I ended up staying there for three years. Wow. So you jumped to Citibank, and you spent a number of years there. How did you make that jump? So when I was in India, and I was approached by Citibank, in those days, Citibank had a gentleman, Bill Campbell, who was hired from Philip Morris. He came to Citibank as the global head of Consumer Bank, and he came up with the concept that we should not be a bank. We should be a brand. We should not behave like bankers. We should behave like marketers. He started, actually, a movement, literally, in Citibank in those days to hire people from the packaged goods industries and bring them into the bank and change the culture and transform the entire place. So that's how I was approached. It was a great opportunity to get international exposure.
4: Did you think you needed to get out of India? Was that part of your plan at this point?
6: Once I was in Unilever, I started thinking more globally. I said I need to have an aspiration to have much broader playground to play or canvas to paint on. So, yes, international was part of my aspiration. Plus, it was a new category. Literally, that was my third industry, right? And I said, this is going to be very cool. I didn't. And even by this it. time, how old were you? I was probably 31. So you're still a very young man. Yeah, I was. And I said, yep, I'll go ahead and take the role. And it was also a great opportunity for me to launch a business from zero. That also was very inspiring for me, right? Citibank didn't have a credit card business in those days in the Middle East, and this was going to be the first one. That was a big thrill. So went and did it, and when it was successful, my responsibilities started growing from credit cards to all of the consumer bank. And then I was promoted again and then sent to London, where I was responsible for Europe, Middle East, and Africa for all consumer assets which is credit cards, auto loans, personal loans, smart gages And that was the first time I had experience of managing Western markets, the likes of Germany, France, UK, etc. That was a fascinating experience. You went to
4: run Diner's Club. That was thought to be a dead brand. And you really brought it back to life. Why did you say, yes, I'll do that? Because <laughs> that sounds like a hard mission. Yes. And two, what did you do to really take this tarnished brand, sort of left behind, and bring it back?
6: When I came to the U.S., I was looking for a business management role. I really wanted to have a scalable business size-wise and get a good experience. So when Diners Club opportunity came along, I said, Yep, yeah, I would like to take that. People told me it was a suicidal mission. There were things which were probably doable there that were not done. That was my perception from outside. So I took the opportunity, and it was in Chicago. And what I realized was, on the one hand, it was a great brand. They had some solid strengths, like, for example, customer service. Well, every other card company was putting you on automated voice recorders. Human beings were actually answering calls. And the rewards program was one of the best in the industry compared to anybody else out there. There was a lot of opportunity to cut costs. The first one year was brutal cost cutting. And how did you do that? For example, we cut down the sizes of offices. We gave up some floors in our buildings. We used to work in those days four and a half days a week in summers. I said, no, we'll work six days a week. There's a time for war and a time of peace, right? Renegotiated every single contract, all our vendors telling them, look, guys, we need help and we cannot afford these contracts. We brought down the rates so significantly. My head of marketing, a very bright consumer marketer, she wanted to produce a campaign. We didn't have money to produce a campaign so we said we need to find something very really innovative so eventually we created a print campaign out of canada by paying twelve thousand us dollars that's it so cost cutting we took it that way the second year was all about growth in those days diners club was not accepted anywhere so people would not take a diners club card because where will i use this card if you go to the merchants and tell them please accept diners club card this is why nobody even comes to me with a diners club card That's when we said, okay, how do we do it? If I have to build a proprietary platform, which has got acceptance everywhere, it's going to cost a boatload of money. So we said, that's not doable. We said, we'll do something unthinkable. In those days, Diners, MasterCard, Visa, Amex, they were all seen to be competing networks. So I said, we are not competing against Amex or Visa. Let's be real. So let's go and talk to them and see if MasterCard or Visa can accept Diners Club card wherever they're accepted. It was a little bit of a breakthrough for the industry. Had anyone ever done that before? No, that was the first of its kind. So I went and eventually signed a deal with MasterCard. And overnight, Diner's Club card could be accepted wherever MasterCard could be accepted globally. The single biggest pain point of Diner's Club got taken care of. So with a wide acceptance, then we hired away some of the best salesmen from my competitors. Then they started winning deals in a big way. You now, before you know, year two, we were very profitable, and year three, it was on sustained profitability level, and that's when I was moved back to the mothership, which is Citibank core credit cards. You had a stellar career at Citi, and you moved to health insurance Yes, as CMO of Humana. Why that move? It was a very fortuitous situation. There was a financial crisis, and all the banks had to borrow tarp money from government, and a lot of marketing programs got shut down. That was a time when fortuitously I got a call from one of the headhunters saying that there's a role with a company called Humana in Louisville, Kentucky, as their chief innovation and marketing officer and chief executive for their international business. I was very curious, and I'm always open to new environments and new industries. Evidently. So I went and had a chat with the chairman of the company, and I felt very inspired. Here is an opportunity for me to truly do something because, you know, in my personal circumstance, I have a son who is autistic. I was struggling to get the right kind of healthcare support for him in New York, which was all like bizarre to me coming to the U.S. for the first time because I haven't heard of the concept of health insurance before I came to the U.S. So here when the opportunity came where I could join the health insurance company, I said I could join and hopefully bring about some transformation. And I'm so glad I did it because I understood how broken the health industry was in total end-to-end. And we did some very cool things while I was at Humana. We did a lot of innovation. We brought in a lot of new concepts to the table. And I moved from there to WellPoint. In those days, it was called WellPoint. Now it's called Anthem. And then suddenly MasterCard happened. And after four years in the healthcare industry, then I said, okay, fine, I'll come into MasterCard because the CEO of MasterCard was my boss before at Citibank. And we had a fantastic relationship. 2013? This was 2013. 13. I Mastercard so here.
4: you're back in the credit card business. You're back in the- It's actually not a credit card business I know, at all. Yes, but, MasterCard but, is not a credit card company. But it is for the outside world, that brand, I know it from my card. Right. That's my consumer touch point. Mm-hmm. You became a CMO. You later added the head communications officer as well. And you're running the healthcare business as well. Credit. And you say, it's not a credit card company. The consumer knows it as a credit card company. They know it as this piece of plastic or
6: now a number. What is it? We're a technology company. We're not a credit cards company. The technology enables a variety of transactions to take place. The transactions can be a credit card transaction. The transaction can be movement of money from one bank to another bank. It can be movement of money from government to some entity outside or to an individual. It's any movement of money and data in a secure, safe, and seamless fashion is what our technology enables. So we're a technology company. But your point is absolutely right. When you say MasterCard, people say credit card because they see the image of the plastic in their mind. And that's something which we have been trying to change in consumers' mind. Hence, the dropping of the name MasterCard from our logo. Hence, getting into other businesses. We are actually a lifestyle brand. We happen to be a technology company but we are a lifestyle brand. We will give you the lifestyle that you would aspire exclusively for you. It's a definition of priceless. You can get these only because you have a MasterCard. You took the name off the logo. Radical
4: change for a company that's been around like this. Now you take this priceless campaign and reimagined it. Another big step. Why did you do that?
6: When I joined MasterCard in 2013, the campaign was still working very well. But the question I was asking myself was, this campaign was created in 1997, when there was no internet, when there was no (laughs) mobile, when there was no social media, when the world has changed so much, how can we still say that my campaign is optimized for today and not for 1997? Probably MasterCard is the only brand out there which has got one single word, which is a very powerful word that is uniquely associated with it, priceless. And Priceless was known in the context of advertising campaigns. We said, can it be made a tangible reality for consumers? Can we infuse Pricelessness into all the four P's of marketing, not just in advertising? That was one piece. The second thing is Priceless has got such a unique capability to create stories that are worth telling and sharing. Consumers are not looking forward to watching an ad or hearing an ad. It's an intrusion to that experience. No questions about it. So consumers say they put ad blocks or they are going to ad-free environment by paying dollars. In that kind of situation, you realize where the consumer's mind is, where the heart is, and try to adapt your strategies. So if consumers are not liking ads, but I still have a responsibility to tell them the story of my brand, is there any way I can do it differently than just ads? So I pivoted a lot of my money away from classical advertising into experiential marketing started identifying what are the things people are passionate about. Ten areas, we call them passion points, like sports, music, shopping, travel, philanthropy, sustainability, and so on. In each one of these areas, we try to create and curate experiences that money cannot buy, but you can get only big MasterCard. When people are experiencing those at scale, we amplify those stories. So we let people tell their stories and we amplify them. That was a big bet that I had to take in 2013. There were a lot of people who were very apprehensive whether this is going to work (laughs) or it's not. Here he goes again. Exactly. So (laughs) fast forward now six years or seven years almost. 2019, MasterCard's brand has been rated as the fastest growing brand during the year by Interbrand. We were not even in the top 100 at that time. Now we are growing the fastest. Brand Z, we used to be at about 87 in the list of top 100 brands. Today we are at 12 and in the United States, we are at number eight. If you look at brand asset value scores, we are growing three to four times as fast as some of our competitors. So on the brand front, we are doing exceptionally well. So we said these strategies are working for us. That was a success, but that was more the
4: umbrella. MasterCard's also a purpose-driven company. Yeah. What exactly is that?
6: And what's so appealing about that for someone like you? When they look at MasterCard, they found their foundation at the time when the company was going to IPO, 2007 or so. And that foundation today, I believe, is the world's largest corporate philanthropy with assets of more than $30 billion. The philosophy here has been that, let us try and see if societal good, doing something good for the society, can be a core part of our business as opposed to be a sideshow somewhere. We launched something called Priceless Causes. The biggest problems in the world, one is cancer. So we found an excellent partner in Stand Up to Cancer Foundation. And we created campaigns saying that if you use your MasterCard during these eight weeks in the United States at any restaurant, we'll contribute a small portion of that revenue into Stand Up to Cancer Foundation, who in turn will then bring some of the best scientists from around the world, form into what they call as dream teams, who will work on a given problem in a collaborative fashion and come up with solutions. The business is also benefiting in the same breath. So the business objective and the societal objective are nicely dovetailing in our strategy, and that's what is really gratifying. Do good and do good for your business. I want you to
4: take a couple of minutes here and be teacher. What power or authority does a
6: CMO need to be truly effective? Right now, the position of CMO is under existential threat many companies have started eliminating the role of CMOs, primarily because I guess there is a lack of appreciation of what marketing does and can do from the CFOs and from the CEOs. And on the other hand, from the CMOs, unable to justify the linkages between their marketing actions and the business outcomes. That has been the bane of this whole situation. What is really needed is the CEOs, if they are bringing in any CMO, they should spend a little time to understand what is the power of marketing, what can marketing do. It could be very eye-opening, because many of the CEOs, for example, they think, oh, it's some organizing some events, (laughs) or do some pretty packaging and decks, or do some hospitality. That is not marketing at all, by any stretch of imagination. So I think they should invest in themselves to learn about marketing. Half of marketing is art, and the other half of is science. Math and magic. Exactly right. The problem is many folks are quick to poo-poo the art side of marketing. It's very difficult for a CMO to stand up and say, or any marketer for that matter, to stand up and say, why it is great. Now, if you're putting a picture of Mona Lisa in front of a CEO who does not understand art, then say, yeah, maybe why don't you make the smile look this way? Why don't you make her look down? Why don't you make her wear a watch? It's very, very important for the CEO to not either belittle or dilute the role of the CMO. If he makes one negative comment in a public kind of a situation, that gives a lot of impetus to the rest of the ecosystem to keep trashing marketing. And before you know, the effectiveness of the entire function dies down. You should, as a CEO, never let that happen. You and your organization
4: offer finance 101 training for your marketing people. Where did that idea
6: come from, and what's the impact of it? Part of it is the genesis. How do you make sure that people understand the value of marketing? And for marketers to understand the connection between marketing and the rest of the business. Now, today, rightly so, CFOs and CEOs are demanding. What am I getting in return? The CMO need to have a very clear answer that talks the language of the CEO and the CFO, not just give some out, my brand awareness will come down, my net promoter score will go down. Nobody cares about it other than the marketer himself or herself. They need to understand the linkages and connect and convincingly talk about it. Not just because, believe me or trust me, but there should be quantitative evidence. Most of the marketers have come from the creative side of the house. They're not quantitative. They don't understand numbers. So what we said is, in our case, we don't want to fall into that trap at MasterCard. So every CMR, every marketing person, will go through a series of trainings, one of which, for example, is Finance 101. Next one is Payments 101. Then we do Digital Marketing 101. Digital Marketing 101 is not only open to just the marketers, But also the other people in the system so they need to understand what is marketing doing so it's a part of educating the system as well if you look at the demands on a marketer today marketer needs to understand numbers and data if some vendor comes and says oh i have got a fantastic solution which is ai powered do you have enough knowledge about that space to ask the questions so you need to be data savvy then you need to understand technology do you understand your stack do you know if you have the right stack are the redundancies marketing folks are more general managers who have got a deep specialization in marketing as opposed to having marketing specialists who are not good for anything else. So what we are trying to do is to attract new talent which is more general management oriented and within the company cross-train our existing people across different areas based on, of course, their aptitude and their interest, trying to get them as equipped for the future as possible. So... Lifestyle. You travel how many days a year? 200 plus. You're a vegan. I meditate.
4: Vegan. I meditate. You love dogs. I love dogs. How do those things help you survive 200 days on the road? <laughs>
6: <laughs> Meditation is a big grounding experience. It centers you very nicely, calms you down, puts things in perspective, gives you a good balance. So, that I find is absolutely invaluable. I think an excited mind will think less creatively and will think less intelligently. A calm mind is really very productive. I used to be a vegetarian. I gave up dairy, and now I'm a complete 100% vegan for the last almost two and a half years. My weight has come down. I find myself a little bit more energetic. The third one, dogs for me, I have three dogs, three big dogs, Rhodesian rich bags, and I absolutely love them to death. They're so affectionate. They're so loving. Being with them even for a few minutes is so therapeutic. When I go home, that's one experience I look forward to, just spending time with the dogs. You've done so much. Let's get just a little bit of advice. If you could, what advice would
4: you give to your 21-year-old self?
6: There's so much more to life than just work. And I think for the longest part of my career, I have been going straight 24 hours, 36 hours sometimes. And I think I would tell myself, no, that's actually not a great thing. You need to have a balanced life.
4: Let's go to advice for agencies. What advice would you give to an agency about the best way to work with a strong CMO?
6: As far as the agencies are concerned, today I think they have got also some level of existential threat with the consulting companies coming in and a lot of insourcing happening, fragmentation, and all those good things. They should be investing in building long-term relationships with their clients, with the CMOs. They have to bring something which will help the CMO and his team succeed at the end of the day they have to create magic right but magic cannot be without costs so they have to really treat the relationship as in a holistic relationship not just you know you pay us the fees and we give you a good creative the key thing is given that the cmos have so many options now and with ai also coming in and i've seen some ads created by ai which are shockingly good looking so in that kind of a situation i think agencies have to reinvent themselves along these lines
4: So as you wrap up, we always give a shout out to the best in analytics and the best in creative. Who would you put on the pedestal for the analytical side of marketing?
6: I would probably say a combination of either Google or Amazon.
4: How about creative?
6: I would not put anyone singularly on the pedestal as far as creative is concerned, honestly.
4: Raja, you are an inspiration to so many. You mentor a lot of people. You have an amazing story. Thanks for sharing it with us today.
6: Thank you so much, Bob. Absolutely. Pleasure being here and thank you for having me here.
4: Here are a few things I picked up in my conversation with Raja. One, look ahead. Even though MasterCard's Priceless campaign was working well, Raja saw the need to evolve it for a changing media environment. Two, to be a good marketer, study sales. When you understand what it takes to sell a product on the ground, you'll be better equipped to create smart campaigns. Three, get buy-in from everyone on your team and in your company. As Raja says, even the brightest ideas can fail if they're not emotionally embraced. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Pittman.
1: That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sue Schillinger for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Nikki Itor for pulling research, Bill Plax and Michael Azar for their recording help, our editor Ryan Murdoch, and of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, Mango, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time.